The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Welcome to episode 12 of Cardboard Cave. Welcome back to the cave. It's a beautiful day outside. Nice, crisp fall day. Um, the cave is just staying at a constant 68 degrees. You know, maybe slightly cool to some people, but the way I like it. Pull up a chair here next to the little uh, underground waterfall and we'll talk about a game or two. Um, so... Once again, I'm here alone in the cave, um, just to get another episode out, give you another game to think about. Um, I'm going to tell you, I believe next episode, we're going to have a special guest, my friend Johnny, who's just a lot of fun. Um, we do the Retro Ballista podcast together, and I like having him on because I kind of like um, torturing him a little bit. He doesn't uh, he doesn't claim to have like the obsessive uh background or knowledge in board games that I do. So I like to throw things on him. Uh, I, I don't know. I enjoy having him on. He was on the, uh, he was on an episode. Now I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah, so look forward to that. I think we're going to be covering Back to the Future, which is a new board game from the Prospero Hall team who've been knocking it out of the park lately, but we'll save that for then. Today, we're going to be reviewing Santa Monica. Oh, my goodness. I did it again. Santa Maria. <laughs> I will always confuse the names of these games, even though they have nothing in common. Basically, nothing. Santa Maria. Santa Maria is a dice drafting, dice placement, worker placement Euro game uh, from 2017 from Aporta Games. Designed by, ooh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. I, I don't think I could even try. All right. Christian and uh, Elif. Elif? Uh, Christian Osterby and Elif Sevenson. I'm sure I nailed that. Anyways, it's from a, you know, a couple years back. I won't say it made a huge splash, but it's one that just got a lot of... It seems like... If somebody played it, they had a lot of good things to say about it, but it didn't exactly blow up. You know, it's it's got its fans, but it might be a little bit of a hidden gem to some people. So we'll give a quick review of that. Uh, I'm not going to keep you a long time today. I'm really going to try to condense these rules and everything. Working my way through the, the format and just trying to put out a show I would want to listen to. And um, before we review Santa Maria, just real quick... Since we had our last episode where we talked about uh, Skull King and Useford and some games that I played on a beach trip, um, real quick, the games I played since then, and this is really easy to tell because I've started using the Board Game Stats app. It's just BG Stats. If you search on the uh, I, the Apple Store or I assume Google Play or wherever, Android, it's Board Game Stats. I think it costs a couple bucks. 
and I really enjoy it. It's not so much that I care to keep track of how many games I've won, because that's a little depressing, actually. I like it because, especially doing this show, I can remember, oh yeah, I played that game since we recorded last. So, I can tell you that we've played a couple of games of Carcassonne, and Carcassonne needs no introduction from me, but basically, if you're getting into this board game hobby, go buy Carcassonne. Don't even listen to this episode, frankly. (laughs) You don't need to know about Santa Maria right now, which is the game I'm reviewing. You need to go get Carcassonne, because it's a great game when you just don't know what else to get, and you're kind of new into the, the board gaming hobby. Carcassonne, you just can't go wrong. And all I'll say about Carcassonne, uh, you know, this classic tile lane game, I believe it's just, it's just become so popular and has become such a, a classic, a modern classic. This kind of became popular to hate on it, you know, to, to, to bash it. That is just lunacy. Carcassonne is such a good design. Yes, it has a million and one expansions. Um, and the game is great just by itself. I always play it with the first two expansions that came out because I've had Carcassonne for probably 15 years and I've always played it with the Inns and Cathedrals and the Traders and Builders expansions. I love it with those two expansions. I don't know that they're necessary, but they add enough to the game that I love it with them. But just go get Carcassonne. Don't worry about the expansions. If you love it and you play it to death, then start looking at the expansions. Um... Yeah, I'm not going to say anything else about it because it's been a huge popular game for years. Uh, We also played a few rounds of Ticket to Ride New York. um, Just because it's... The thing about these, there's New York, London, and now there's Amsterdam. The thing about these Ticket to Ride blank city games is they're filler games. You know, the regular Ticket to Ride is, you know, about an hour long, you know... Make closer to 30 minutes with two players, but 30 minutes to an hour long. Um, but these, the New York, Amsterdam, and London, are bite-sized. They're literally 10 to 15 minutes. If you spend more than 15 minutes on Ticket to Ride New York, I, I almost feel like you're playing it wrong. It's just going to end really quick. I mean, honestly, 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it's crazy quick. And so, no. For me, Ticket to Ride New York wouldn't be a game I would plan a game evening around. But it doesn't need to be. It shouldn't be compared to to even regular Ticket to Ride. It should be compared more to your little filler games, your little card games. Um, you know, pull out Ticket to Ride New York with your family instead of Skip Bow or, uh, or playing a hand of rummy or something, you know. Because it is so easy to teach, so easy to play. Um, and for me, Ticket to Ride New York isn't just really cool because it's easy to teach people who don't play board games. I, I like it because me and my wife can pull it out and play when we have 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, pretty much any evening, you've got time for a round of Ticket to Ride New York. And uh, I won't say, for me, it scratches the same itch as a filler game, you know, as a quick 10, 15 minute filler game. And for that, I think it's excellent. It's near the top. It doesn't scratch the itch of playing a, a you know, a meaty board game at all. Not even in the way that regular Ticket to Ride does, so... But I do enjoy it. For what it is, I really enjoy it. However, a game I enjoy even more uh, is a game my wife and I played a round of called Biblios. B-I-B-L-I-O-S. Biblios. Um, The theme is basically your monks writing manuscripts, writing books, um, and you're collecting certain kinds of ink 
to write these books. Really, the thing doesn't matter a lot. It's just a super, super clever card game. It involves these big five huge dice. Well, not huge, but five chunky dice. But this isn't a dice rolling game. The dice are never rolled. They're used to keep track of what each um, color is worth, basically. It's real clever. Um, it's just it's all, it's been one of my favorite games ever since I got it. It's uh, Doctor Finn is the designer. Yeah, the best thing I can compare it to if you've played For Sale. For Sale is a clever, fun, quick card game where there's two distinct halves, and Biblios is the same way. In the first half, you're card drafting. You're getting if you're say if you're just playing with two players. It's real simple, actually. You're just pulling one card. You're deciding, okay, am I keeping this one card? Am I giving it to my opponent? Or am I putting it in the face-down pile, which will stay there until uh, the next part of the game? And so it's really neat because you draw them one at a time. You're like, oh, that's a pretty good card, but I think I can get a better one. So you give it to your opponent, and then the next card you draw is just awesome. And you're like, yes, I'm so glad I, I gave that other one to my opponent. Or it might work the other way around. But it's just a real fun card drafting that works even with two players. I think it works great with two. Also plays great with up to four. But then, so you got a hand of cards basically in your first hand. And some of those cards are gold coins. They're, they're cards with coins on them from one to three. And then you've got your hand of different colors. Like uh, the different colors have different values. Orange, red, green, blue, etc. Um... And the point is, at the end of the game, you want to have the most of each color. Of course, you can't have the most of each color, but you want to be the strongest in at least some of the colors. Ideally, the colors that score more points. Um, and the points that each color scores can fluctuate through the game. That's where the dice come in. You have these cards that can add or subtract a value to what each color is worth, and you just rotate the dice to the correct side. But the second part of the game is just as fun as the first part, and that's where it's an auction game. Um, you simply turn over a card. I, if you remember from the first part of the game, you have some of the cards, your opponents have some of the cards, and then the face-down deck has some of the cards. And so you know some of the stuff's in there. If you remember what you put face-down, you'll remember some of it, but you don't know everything that's in there because you don't know what your opponents have been putting in there. So in the second part of the game, you're auctioning off these cards that were put in the face-down pile. And you're using the gold coins that you got from the first part. And there's some other little tricks in there that make it really clever. But basically, once you're done with auctioning, plus the cards you collected from the first part, you basically add up, okay, who has the best, like who has the most total value in green? Who has the most total value in blue and orange and red? And whoever has the most will collect the points for that color. Whoever has the most points wins. Uh, it's way better than it sounds. It's super clever. It scratches an itch. I said Ticket to Ride New York scratches that filler game itch. Biblio scratches something slightly deeper than that for me. It's um, it, it's you could almost call it filler. I guess it takes about thirty minutes. I think it's usually about right. Um, but if I don't know, it feels a little deeper to me. The, I think it's just because every single card you draw is a decision. Every single turn is a decision, and um, I love it. It's a great game. Biblios. I believe it's still in print. If it is, I highly recommend it. It's a boring-looking cover to some people. I don't mind it, but kind of just like a monk in a dark setting. The name doesn't really inspire. <laughs> you can go out and buy it, 
but I promise it's a good game. And it actually looks good, too. The cards look good. The dice look great. Just not the most exciting cover. Then we played with my brother and my sister-in-law, me and my wife. So there's four of us playing Quacks of Quedlinburg. I'm not going to say much about this game because we just have to review this game. Uh, I don't know why I haven't already reviewed it. I'll just say I've logged 13 plays total of this game, which when you have as many games in your collection as me, that's really good. I just picked up the Herb Witches expansion, which I'm really excited about. So I think I'll try to get in a couple plays with the expansion, then we'll give that a review. Just know for now that Quacks of Quedlinburg is a crazy pusher luck game with some honestly laugh out loud moments when things go wrong. Um, and look forward to a review soon. Then I picked up a game recently called Fantastic Factories. Fantastic Factories is an engine building card game. And it's engine engine building in every sense of the word. That's really all you're doing the whole game. You're making factories that, you know, make this better, make this better, output this, do this. Building up your cards until you're doing basically more, way more than what you started with. Um, I might review this sometime in the future, but I'll just say for now, I played it twice solo. And I'm not a big solo player, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I've also played it two-player with my wife. Had a lot of fun with it. We played it twice. Best thing I can say about this game for now is it is so smooth, so streamlined, so easy to teach. You can teach this game in less than five minutes, but it is not a super-duper, like, featherlight game. It's, it's, uh, probably light-medium weight, but the rules are super-light. So, great Great rules depth to actual depth ratio. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I've been playing, except for Santa Maria, which I've gotten four total plays in of, including one solo game. And let's go and get into the feature review for Santa Maria. All right. Santa Maria is, to keep it simple, dice drafting. In other words, there are dice rolled at the start of every round, and everyone's going to get the same number of them, but if they're just regular D6, so if you really want a four, then you want to draft the four. Pretty simple. But it's dice drafting and then dice placement, and the dice are your workers. In other words, if you want to go on this spot, you actually put a die on that spot. You don't have like wooden meeples. It's it's dice placement, worker placement. And that's really the bulk of it. There's a bunch of ways to get points, but I'm going to keep it pretty simple. The theme of this game, um, I would say the theme is not super strong, but it kind of makes sense. But really, it's a game about mechanisms more than theme. Uh, Santa Maria, you are basically the Portuguese discovering the island of Santa Maria. And I don't know enough about the history to go super in-depth, but I do know that some people are very, you know, for good reason, I'm not making fun, but very touchy about any kind of colonization themes right now. Um, And people have called this game out unfairly because actually 
Santa Maria is one of the rare cases where there's not really a big downside. From what I understand, the Portuguese who landed on Santa Maria were the only humans there. So it's not like they killed off any native people or, you know, tried to Christianize everyone who was there. They were it. They were the only humans. There were animals and plants, but they were the only humans there. And so they made it uh, a colony from scratch. Uh, I think the darkest thing that happened in the history of Santa Maria are actually pirates, pirate attacks (laughs) uh, against the Portuguese. So, but anyways, the theme is Santa Maria has been discovered. You're wanting to colonize. You're wanting to explore, to spread out your colony, basically. And each player has a board, which represents your colony. And then you got just square tiles that represent expanding your colony. You got roads, you got cities, forest, mountains, fields of grain, um, uh, shipping ports, I guess harbors you would say, um, which are in the cities. Um, yeah, that's I think that's pretty much the main types of land you have. But besides expanding on your own personal board, there's also a main board which reminds you of all the different actions. It reminds you of all the different ways you can score. And this main board has some things going on as well. So basically, you got your personal board that represents how well you're expanding your colony. And then you got the main board, which represents... Um, <laughs> there's a, a track that's the religion track. And again, there were not people on the island before the Portuguese. So I guess this represents just um, establishing religion on the island and the further you move up this track is actually how you can get some additional workers which are the dice um and also some other benefits basically the further you move up this track you get to put out your little monk tiles and these monk tiles simply let you claim special abilities or in-game condition victory points for example you might claim the tile that lets you score um points for every contiguous area you have, let's say all forest or all mountains, all whatever, you know, another one might score based on how many ships you've put out, which is something you can do. I'll get to another one might score just based on how big of an area you've developed. It doesn't matter what it is, but say it's a five by five grid, you'll get 10 points, basically in game things. And so these little, this prayer track is your way of getting more workers. I guess you can, (coughs) excuse me. You can think of them as followers um, who are following the way, you know, following following you uh, as a monk, however you want to put it. Um, and then, like I said, getting those in-game bonuses and those during-game special abilities. That's the way you get those. Then there's the Conquistador track, which just represents, you know, the... the uh, well, the conquistadors. <laughs> I don't know if soldiers is the right word. Again, the theming isn't super duper strong, but I think you can see these as the people who are like the military might of your island, basically, of Santa Maria, um, who will be defending against the pirates, for example, who will be going out and discovering new lands. Basically, this track resets every round, and whoever's the furthest along, each round will get points. It's just straight up points. You're rewarded for moving up this track every round. Then it's reset every round. And then finally on the main board, you have the docks, which is where the ships come out. The ships are simply tiles. If you pay X number of resources, you get a ship tile. 
The ships are simply points at the end of the game, and they can also get you stuff at the end of every round, which I'll go over. Uh, because also on the board are the retiring spaces. This is simply where if you can't do anything else during a round, you retire and you get like a special ability as you retire. And I'll get into that, but those spaces are on the main board. And then on the main board, thankfully, I really like this. It tells you the cost to expand. It's two wood for a, a two sized tile or two wood and a wheat to get a, a three sized tile. To expand your colony. It tells you the end game scoring. Which I'll go and tell you real quick. First of all you can sell your excess resources. Then it's three coins as a victory point. Which isn't much. That's just like a little bonus. If you didn't spend all your money. Because you're going to want to use money during the game. If you've completed rows and columns. On your colony board. You count the little people. There's actually people walking on some of the roads. And if you count those up. They serve no purpose during the game. But you actually count those people up at the end of the game and get points for those. Um, if you manage to get complete sets of ship tiles, you'll get some bonus points there. Then you flip over all your ship tiles, all your tiles you collected with the monks I mentioned earlier, and you add up all those points, which the ships, uh, the ships are a big source of points. Thematically, you can look at it as you're going to win this game by expanding your colony, expanding the religion, um, having a strong military and by shipping goods. So that's what these ships represent at the end of the game is, you know, victory points for shipping the goods. So that's your points. But what do you actually do on a turn? Well, you have four choices and thankfully they're all pretty stinking simple. The turns are usually pretty quick. I will say straight up, this game can have some analysis paralysis where you're like, oh, what do I want to do? There's several things I could do, but what's the best thing to do? But your choices are actually very simple. A, you can expand your colony. And I've already explained it. Pay two wood for a basic tile or two wood and wheat for the three size tile. Put it anywhere in your board. It's super simple placement rules. It doesn't have to match anything. The only rule is it has to fit on your board and you can't cover up something already there. Including any of the things that were already printed on your board. And just put it on your board. There's reasons you might want to put it certain places, um, which I'll get to in just a moment. But your second choice is to activate a single building. What this means is, on your colony, the buildings do things. Some of the buildings produce wood, wheat, sugar, rare gems. Some of them let you move up the prayer track. Some of them let you move up the conquistador track. And some let you ship. In other words, everything I mentioned you do in this game to get points, as you expand your colony board, those icons are printed on the tiles that you're expanding your colony with. So if you realize you're not getting to ship enough and you want to be able to ship more often, you need to look for these expansion tiles that have shipping, the ship on them. If you never have enough wood to get done what you need to do, you need to look for more of these tiles that have wood on them so you can collect more wood. So what you do is you pay a single coin, which is the main use for the coins, to just activate a building. Just straight out, this building gives me a wood, I'm going to put a coin on it, I just collect the wood. Now that building is blocked by that coin. The coins will just go off the building at the end of the round. But you've blocked that space for now. The trick is, if on a future turn, and by the way, you only do one thing per turn. So if you're activating a building, that's all you do. 
but you get unlimited number of turns, technically. It just ends when you realize there's nothing else you can do. But it goes to your opponent. When it comes back to you, if you want to activate another building, it's now two coins. And then three coins, four coins, etc. So it's a bargain, usually, to activate a single building for a coin, but it gets one more expensive every time. And like I said, those coins just go back to the bank at the end of the round, and they block whatever space you activated on your board. It's blocked as long as your coin's sitting on it. Your next choice, though, I would say is sort of the main action of the game, or at least one of them, and that's where the dice drafting comes in. So you draft a die, you pick one, and then you put it on the row or column that matches the number. So if you can imagine like a a battleship board or a bingo grid, if you pick, say, the four die, you're going to put that on the column that is number four. And then you're going to activate everything in that column. So as you've been expanding your colony, your columns are getting better, basically. So maybe at the start of the game, a a dice that has a four on it will just activate... Maybe collect a wood and collect a wheat, and that's all you get to do. But now you've expanded your board, so you're going to collect a wood, then you're going to collect a wheat, then you're going to ship, then you're going to pray, then you're going to get a gem. Like, that's an example of a really good call. And I'll just say it feels really good when you've got just the perfect column of actions and you put a die on it. Um... And then sort of the trick here is the white dice are the ones you're drafting. They're available to everyone. Everyone's going to get exactly three per round. <clears throat> so there's no rush to get them in that aspect. But maybe only one one was rolled and you really want a one. Well, you should probably draft it early then before somebody else does. But the, the white dice, the ones that are drafted, go in the columns. Your blue dice, which you're earning throughout the game... You can earn up to three. You start with one. They go in the rows. So they go across the board. So for example, let's say you have a three blue die, which is yours. You don't have to worry about anyone taking it. So you can kind of wait to activate it until it is the best. So really, the the driving force of this game is, oh, I really want to take that four white dice before somebody else does. But if I wait until I expand my colony, I'll make my four column even better because I want to add some more stuff to that row, you know? But if you wait too long, then the dice is gone. The die is gone. So the white dice activate columns. The blue dice activate rows. But the trick is the last building on the row or column is blocked by the die you used. So you go down the line and the die just stays there on the last building. So a row or column is getting weaker as the round goes. And the dice are not removed until the end of the round. They just stay there until the end of the round. Um, And that's that's really... It's just a fun part of the game. And it's also not totally luck-driven. I mean, you can have a round where the white dice that everyone's drafting together, you might roll... For example, in a three-player game, you would roll nine dice. That's three per player. You might roll four threes. Like, that is not good variety. And you might not have anything on the three column that's worth much because you would not build up that column or whatever. First of all, that's a strategy is to not have columns that are totally worthless. But also, for one coin, you can change a die value by one pip. 
So, f- for example, maybe your five row is excellent, but the three row is terrible. You can spend two coins to bump that three die up to a five, and now you, you're cooking. But money is tight, and you're always wanting to get more money. So, it's 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 a balancing act. But it's one of those games where I feel like you get better at it the more you play it, and you just feel like you can get more and more done. Um. So yeah, so dice drafting. And the cool thing is the dice drafting and the dice placement happens simultaneously. You pick the die you want, then you place it. So it keeps it simple. Um, and the final thing you can do, so we had expand your colony where you pay resources to add better tiles to your colony. We had use a single building by paying coins, one, then two, then three, etc. Then we had activate a row or column by using the dice. White dice for columns, blue dice for rows. Finally, the last thing you can do is retire. Now, in most games, when you drop out of a round, it's not really a big deal. In this game, I swear sometimes it feels like half your stuff happens as you retire. It's really cool. First of all, you pick the retirement space you want to go to, which is just a free action you get at the end of the round. And it's basically all the main things. Uh, You can collect two coins... You can do the religion track, you can do the conquistador track, you can do the shipping action, or you can pick up a single tile that's good for basically filling blank spaces on your board. The trick is, whoever goes to the uh, closest to the top of this retirement track will be the first player next round. So the shipping action, which tends to be very powerful, is near the bottom, for example. Collecting two coins is the first space, so if you want to be sure you go first, when you retire, you're just going to have to collect two coins. But the better part is not only do you get that one free action as you retire, you immediately, as you retire, look at your ships <clears throat> that you've bought with resources throughout the round, throughout all the rounds. And from top to bottom, per ship tile you have of that top, you get these bonus actions. So you start at the top of your board. Let's say you have two ships beside the coin row. You're going to get four coins. If you got a ship beside the Conquistador, you're going to get to move that. There's one at the Prayer. And finally, there's a row for ships that has victory points, and you simply get a victory point per ship in that row. So let's say, for example, the Conquistador track, which is really the one where you're fighting other people to just be ahead on to get points at the end of the round. Maybe you're behind on that track during the round, but you've collected three ships on that Conquistador line. So now at the very end of your round, when you retire, you're going to move three times on that track. So you can think of the ships as sort of an ongoing accumulation of power, source, resources, whatever. It's like having ships out doing your stuff. Every round they're getting you stuff. And then, like I said, the ships are also points at the end of the game. The ships do nothing during a round, but when you retire is when they bring in the goods, so to speak. And then again, at the end of the game, they're worth points. Anywhere from one to... <clears throat> excuse me, my goodness. I don't know, six or seven I've seen on some of them. Which is a pretty big amount in this game. Okay, so that's it. That's your four actions. The game only lasts three rounds. And like I said, each round is simply as long as everybody wants to go. If I realize I'm just out of things I can do, I've used my three white dice, I've used all the blue dice I've managed to accumulate so far, 
I'm out of money, so I can't activate single spaces with money. Um, I'm just done. Then I retire. I do all that stuff with the ships where I collect new stuff and I'll have more to go for the next round. And you just wait for everybody else to finish. And honestly, everybody finishes within a turn or two of each other. It's it's usually pretty close. You, you're not going to have somebody going for ten turns while you're just sitting there. That's just not realistic. At the end of three rounds, you'll simply add up all the points. And um, I told you all the ways you can score. But like I said, excess money is worth points. Completed rows and columns are worth points for all the people on them. Um, you're going to flip over all your shipping tiles and get the points there. And also those in-game points that you're, when you filled up your religion track, you're setting your monk tokens out on these these uh, in-game scoring things. It is a game with a lot of ways to get points, but it does still feel like, you know, some games, the term is point salad, where it seems like there's just so many ways to get points that no one thing stands out. Um... <clears throat> I feel like this game still has a strong central core where it still feels like that dice placement is still the core of it and everything else are ways to get points, but that's still the core of it. And and everything else you do, you're, you're going to be doing because you did good dice placement. And I'll, I'll just go and get into the review itself. All right. That's and not what I told you is not enough to play the game. But it is actually, <laughs> I feel like I say this a lot, but once you've played the game once, it's not hard. It's not hard. Um, it is a, a streamlined Euro game. I think at the back of the box actually says that. But it really is. I mean, it's a seven-page seven rule book. I mean, it's, it's a pretty streamlined game. I would say it's medium weight. I mean, to me, it feels medium weight as far as depth. But it's lighter on the rules, so I appreciate that. But what about the components? What about the art? Um, I'll be honest, I picked this game up not because of the theme or the art or the components appealed to me, which I'll admit sometimes that's a big part of it. This game I picked up because so many people were just saying how much fun it was, and that's what appealed to me. I think the front of the box is okay. It's kind of ho-hum. Kind of a goofy-looking conquistador on the front. Kind of muted colors. It's okay. Nothing about the name. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like it's such a historical game that the Santa Maria name is going to pull a lot of people in. The art itself is honestly on the basic side. Um, there are no cards in the game, which I don't know why I actually appreciate it when a game manages to pull off you know, pretty deep, streamlined gameplay and not use any cards. There are no cards in this game. But the art on the tiles, on the main board itself, on your individual boards, the... everything is on the simple side, I would say. But far from bad. I, I do like it. It's far from bad. Most importantly, it's pretty clear. The icons are pretty clear. The only icons in this game that I think aren't 100% clear, in fact are not on the tiles, not on the, the shipping tiles, or your own your colony expansion tiles. The only ones that aren't 100% clear are those. They're called Scholars and Bishops, which is just silly. It's just the special ability tiles and the in-game scoring tiles. But the thing is, there's only three out per game. It comes with a stack of uh, 
of 10 of the special ability tiles and 6 of the in-game scoring tiles, but you only use 3 of each per game. But absolutely, the first time you see these tiles, you're going to have to look up what they do. But it's very, very clear in the rulebook. There's no question what they do. But I don't think it's obvious just from looking at them. But again, not a big deal. There's only 6 per game, 3 of each. But, I don't know, there's no single piece of art in this game that blows me away at all. It's very serviceable. I would give this game very middle-of-the-road grades for art. And I gotta say, for components, there was nothing that blew me away either. Um, It's cardboard tokens for money. The dice are wooden dice, which doesn't bother me at all. For some reason, some people don't like wooden dice. I I don't care. Not for a game like this. I, I mean, you're rolling them once per round. That's it, you know? Um, oh, sorry, there is one thing that's above average. The resource tokens. They're wooden. Your wood is shaped like wood. Grain. Sugar shaped like a shack of sugar. Sack of sugar. You got gems and you got gold. Those are shaped in colored pieces of wood, which is above and beyond. Because some games will just include colored cubes or colored um, cardboard tokens. So anytime a game has shaped colored wooden pieces... To represent the resources, that is to me, uh, it's a little above and beyond. Because some games you gotta buy those upgrades if you want something like that. Now this isn't gonna blow anybody away; they're basic, but to me that's the one part of the game that kind of goes above and beyond. Everything else is just fine. It's fine, except the victory point tokens. For some reason, they're called happiness tokens. It's cute, in a way. I mean, for a game like this, the overall, I guess, happiness of your colony is how you actually win the game. So, instead of victory point tokens, they're called happiness tokens. They have a really, really weird, slightly creepy uh, smiley face on one side, and then just values of points on the other side. It is not a big deal, and some people made a big deal about this. But I don't like those things. They're so tiny. They're fiddly. They come in weird values. Um, It is not a big deal. But I'll tell you what. After our first game with four players and everybody's adding up their scores at the end of the game and we're trying to count these things out and they're so tiny and they all look the same and they're not... It would be better if they were just printed on both sides with the number. But one side is that stupid smiley face. <laughs> so they get flipped over and then you're like, oh, that's not the one I need. I'll tell you what I did. I bought a stack for like four bucks of green mini poker chips. They're smaller poker chips. You could use full-size ones, but you don't need them. They're smaller poker chips, and I wrote values on them with a Sharpie. Um, I think it was a, it was a pokerchip.com. I just I just Googled poker chips, and it's the first thing that came up. They're high-quality poker chips, but they're mini-sized. They're cheap, and I just wrote some numbers on them. And I'll be honest with you, I like it a lot better with that. I really do. But whatever. Not a big deal. I shouldn't have even spent that much time on it. But those are the one part about the game that are kind of goofy. They're so tiny and fiddly. Ugh. But overall, the components are very average. Very middle of the road. This is not a game, again, it, didn't, it, didn't, it did not attract me because of the components, because of the art. I do like the wooden resources. Those are the only part that I think are above average. The game itself, though, the more important part. Um, I played it four times now. 
maybe not enough for super in-depth review, but I think enough that I, I, I know how I feel about it, which is what a review is. The first time I played solo, and the solo game, if you hit 100 points, it's considered a win, a victory. I hit 80-something, and I thought I did pretty good, and I enjoyed it. I don't, very rarely is a solo game as much fun as a multiplayer game, in my opinion. So I was looking forward to playing it, multiplayer. But I did enjoy the solo game. I think it's pretty solid. Then I jumped right into a four-player game uh, with my wife, my brother, and my sister-in-law. All of us new to the game except for me, who had played a solo game. And the four of us played, and it was pretty easy to teach. It wasn't too bad. There was a few times when I thought gears were turning a little too hard. People were locked down a little bit, staring at the board, not sure what to do. But after that first game with four players, despite doing okay when I played solo, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I knew how to play the game, but I did terrible. I did so terrible. But it wasn't just me. Me and my brother, who, to be honest with you, is, tends to just be good at games. I actually beat him by one point. He got last. I got one point more than him. And then my wife had like 10 to 12 points more than me, which is a pretty big victory. But then my sister-in-law had like 30 points more than me and 30 points more than my brother. I mean, we're talking about a range of like 60-something to 90-something, which was kind of a blowout. But, But why it felt like such a blowout is because I had no idea I was doing that bad during the game. It's like, oh my goodness, it kind of took me back a little bit, that first game, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, I feel like I was turning my brain and I have no idea what she did better than me. But the thing is, I got to thinking about it. And when we played that multiplayer game, what my sister-in-law did, who won handily, is she expanded a lot. I mean, technically, this is a game about colonization, and she by far did the most colonization. And since these player boards are set up so that when you draft a dice and activate a row or a column, the more you've expanded, the better you've made your colony, the more stuff you're going to get. What I failed to realize is how huge that is. So then my wife and I played a two-player game. Uh, This was, I don't know, a week ago or something. And I got destroyed again. Um, I did just slightly better than I did. I thought (laughs) I I learned my lesson, but then at the end of the game, again, I realized, you know what? I didn't really expand my colony much. I get sparkly eyes when I see these shipping tiles that are worth a lot of points. And I see things I won't. And I'm not expanding my colony enough, so I'm just not getting much done with the dice themselves. So today, just a little bit before I'm recording this, my wife and I played again, our second two-player game. And I got it. It clicked, finally. This is such a more streamlined, such a simpler game than a lot of games that I really enjoy and don't consider myself terrible at. But for some reason with this one, Despite the fact that at its core it's a dice drafting, dice placement, worker placement game, despite the fact that the theme is colonization, it took me four games to realize I really need to colonize a lot. (laughs) And so I enjoyed the game so much more after our fourth game that that's why I decided to review it. Because I hate to say it, but after the first few games, I liked the game, but I wanted to like it more. And I kind of felt like it wasn't the game's fault, and I felt guilty to go ahead and review it, and I'm so glad I waited. 
But I am going to throw this caveat out there that despite the fact that so many people have said how much fun this game is, it took a few plays, four, I guess, really, counting my solo, for me to to realize how I can have a lot of fun with it. And so I'm going to give this pro tip. The game is not super complicated. It's not. Um, but you have to expand early on. The game is only three rounds, and you need you pretty much need to spend that first round expanding. In other words, buying these tiles to make your colony better. If you're not putting tiles out on your colony board, then in the second round, in the third round, every time you use a dice and you activate a row or a column, you're only getting half the stuff your opponents are. And it feels like you're still doing well because you're getting something every turn. You're getting these shipping tiles, which are super important. But you've actually been very inefficient. You've got to take those first few turns and expand your board. And so this fourth game we played, I filled up all of my board except for like three spaces. I mean, literally 95% full. Probably built three times as much as I did the first couple games. And it was fun. And it felt like that's how the game's meant to be played. And I got 99 points. And I still made some mistakes. Like, I'm thinking back now. I could have done some things better. But I got 99 points. And I won. And so, I hate to say that I like the game a lot better because I won. But I do like the game a lot better because it was just more fun. Getting more stuff done. So, this might sound like a flaw because I'm saying you kind of got to play the game a certain way to get full enjoyment. I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of room to make decisions yourself to go the way you want to go. But you can't forget that this is at the end of the day and the rulebook didn't make this super clear. Like it doesn't spell it out for you. But at the end of the day, this is a game about building your colony. And if you're not building your colony on your own board early in the game, you will not win. Not unless you're playing someone else who's doing the same thing. So just don't forget that. I mean, there's plenty of room to do other things, but especially early on, you've got to make your board better. You've got to colonize. Or as the game calls it, uh, expand your colony. You've got to expand your colony. Um, And then from there, you can kind of do what you want to do. I mean, once you've got a good board going... um, You're going to be getting more stuff. You're going to be shipping more. You're going to be able to afford the things you want better. It's just... It's just a very fun game. And I'm so glad that it finally clicked for me. Um, My sister-in-law, who got 94 points the very first time she played, definitely... I guess she stumbled upon the right. I don't know if she was playing smarter than us and realized that's the most important, or if she just happened to stumble upon the correct choice which was to expand early on, but it's very important. So, you know, my final thoughts. Um, I don't think this game was as immediately amazing to me as some people said it was. Like, I was just expecting for it to just be a non-stop right from start to finish. And that first multiplayer game that I played felt a little brutalizing. <laughs> like, I didn't expect to have this heavy feeling when I was done. I wasn't super happy after that first game, I'll be honest with you. But now, from now on, I think anytime this game comes out, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, You know, I, I don't 
know if this game has such immense replay value that I could play it a couple times a week. I think it's one of those games I'll play a few times a year would be good, probably. Which, again, when you have as many games as I do, a few times a year is fine. If you've only got one or two games in your collection, maybe this is one of the first games I would recommend. Because, for one thing, I think for it to be fun, you've got to realize that expanding your colony early on is crucial. But, once you realize that, it does maybe streamline it a little bit. It does maybe take away some of the sandboxy feeling of it. And all of a sudden, you can do other things, but one of the main things you're doing is expanding your colony during that whole first round, which is a third of the game. I I don't think that takes away from it. I'm just saying, once you realize that, and again, I'm not trying to spoil the strategy for you. I just think you need to know that going in or you're going to be frustrated. I think once you know that, maybe if you played this game 10 times in a row, it might feel samey is all I'm saying. It might feel like, okay, I'm kind of doing mostly the same things over and over. If you're someone who has a ridiculous number of games in your collection, I think this is a great addition. I think it's a great addition because the rules are pretty simple, ultimately. It's pretty stinking easy to teach overall. It plays with two players. It plays in about 40 minutes or so, which is super quick for a game of this depth. You know, it takes it probably takes twice that to play a four-player game, even once you know what you're doing. Um... I mean, I think it took us a good hour and a half plus that first four-player game. Um, and I do honestly think this game is best if it can be played in about an hour. I think it's, that's how it feels best. Um, and and So that being said, honestly, I probably prefer it with two or three players. It plays fine with four, but I would not really want to play it with four people who take a long time with their turns. I think, so for me and my level of impatience... I'm going to enjoy this as a two and three player game. I'll probably pull something else out with four players. That's just me. So for me, ultimately, it's not a perfect game. Um, I think there could be more variety in those scholar and bishop tiles, the special abilities and in-game scoring tiles. There's only 10 of the in-game or 10 of the ability tiles and six of the in-game scoring. The problem is, I don't know. Only a couple of them feel super interesting to me. Like, I love the one that lets you use your blue dice on the rows or the columns. That is so cool. Um, I like the in-game scoring one that just lets you score a bunch of points for filling in a grid on your board, like a 3x3, 4x4, 5x5 grid. Because that actually kind of encourages you on a certain strategy. And it's actually enough points that it's worth going for. Um, uh, I, I like some of the other special ability tiles. There's one that lets you pick up when you pay the individual coins to activate buildings, there's one of the special abilities that lets you pick up one pile of those coins, basically, to put them back in your own personal supply at the end of the round. But overall, those could be more interesting, I think. I do think the aesthetics could be a little stronger. This game, I appreciate that it's clean looking, but I don't know. I think there's some things that could have maybe been done a little better without sacrificing that cleanness. That's tricky, though. That is tricky, because this game wanted to be clean, and I think it is clean. So, so I don't even count that as a negative. But, I'm just saying, you know, the components are very average overall. Um, I do feel like maybe the replay value is just average. Like, I don't think this game has so much variety. 
despite the fact that, you know, the tiles that you expand your colony with are going to come out in a different order every time, the dice are rolled new every time, and that depends where they go. The shipping tiles, you're not going to see all the shipping tiles in a two-player game. In a four-player game, and here's another thing. In the four-player game, we ran out of shipping tiles, and towards the end of the game, this is one of the one main things you're trying to do to get points. I don't know, that was kind of frustrating to me. I think you would really, really have to be trying to run out if you're just playing a three-player game. In a two-player game, I don't even think it's possible. I, I don't see how you could possibly run out of shipping tiles in a two-player game. But in a four-player game, it happened the very first time we played the game. That was a little frustrating, not a deal-breaker. but So I'm going to reiterate, for two or three players looking for sort of a medium to light-medium game with surprisingly streamlined, smooth rules, a good rule book, a good reference uh, as far as what all the icons do, plays in... With two or three players, you're looking at an hour to, to 90 minutes, maybe on the extreme end for three players. Um, it's a great Euro game. And the whole dice rolling, dice placement is just fun. And when you're building up your colony and you're getting to do so much on a single turn, it just feels good. Um, the caveats I mentioned that from now on, if I teach anyone the game, I'm going to tell them straight up, hey, spend your whole first round expanding your colony as much as you can, and the rest of the game is going to be more fun. I don't think that's a negative, but it's also a thing that I feel like I need to tell people. Um, other than that, so where do I land on it? If you had asked me after, I will say after my first three games, when for some reason I couldn't get through my thick skull how important it was to, to expand the colony, and I was just just not getting much done, just getting frustrated. And I blame myself for that. But if you had asked me for a score a score after those first three games, I probably would have had to tell you a six. Because I definitely saw the quality, and I certainly enjoyed certain rounds, certain parts of the game. But I ended just underwhelmed and frustrated with myself, <laughs> which is not a feeling I enjoy. But after our fourth game, and I have a feeling from now on, now that it's clicked finally, um, I, I enjoy it quite a bit more. <sighs> How much more? I think I'm going to go seven and a half out of ten. You know, if I were going to sign a, a number score to this, I think it's seven and a half out of ten because it's just that much fun. I mean, it's honestly, I'd probably bump it up to an eight if I felt the aesthetics were a little better. I, I don't know. I just feel like they're a little blow average, which this day and age when so many games are beautiful. <sighs> I like Euro games though. I don't I don't just like games that are traditionally beautiful. Um I've mentioned Grand Austria Hotel while well, I reviewed it on this podcast. That game isn't traditionally beautiful. In fact, the art style is kinda similar. But I love that game. I love the way it looks. I love the aesthetic. This one, eh. It's take it or leave it. So I'm probably gonna give it a seven and a half out of ten. But I do think it's worth the hop it received. I think a lot of people would really enjoy this game. And I'm now one of them. I wasn't really until this last time. But now that I get it, and I know, hey, genius, it's a colonization game. You need to colonize. I like it a lot. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. Um, and I think it's a great game if you're moving past, say, you know, your Catan and Ticket to Ride and Pandemic, maybe games like that. 
even like Dominion. Um, you want to try some of these more bread and butter Euro games. This is easier than Agricola or Caverna or, um, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of some Stefan Fields that it's easier than. This is more like Castles of Burgundy, speaking of Stefan Feld. As far as rules complexity, this is pretty close to Castles of Burgundy instead of, you know, some of his more complicated games. So that's that's probably a good comparison if you want to know how complex the rules are. Um, this is a step up from Catan, but certainly easier than something like Agricola or Caverna or La Havre. Um, yeah, so that's Santa Maria. I do recommend it. Not without flaws, but nothing that's even remotely deal-breaking. Thanks for joining. Uh, look forward to the next episode. We're going to try to review Back to the Future, the board game. And until then, keep your feet dry on the way out and uh, enjoy the rest of this beautiful, beautiful day from the cave. <laughs>